Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome special guest, renowned Canadian political scientist, Janice Stein. Janice is an international relations expert and founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. Janice sits down with host Pamela Ritchie to discuss the geopolitical themes and issues moving the markets this past year and what could influence our world economies in 2024. Janice says we are in an era of geoeconomics. Geopolitics is now driving the global economy and it will drive trade and continue to accelerate and drive markets. Janice highlights the four big countries influencing our economies today, the US, China, Russia, and India. Janice believes this is the century of US power, but she adds what China has accomplished in the last 20 years, no other society has done. She says India is one of the largest countries, but its population is very young. Still, there is a lot of potential for growth in India. Russia is a declining economy, but the biggest oil and gas export. Janice highlights many other geopolitical issues, including the conflict in the Middle East. She says despite the brutal war, people are thinking about the future and what sorts of governance systems will emerge from these decisions. This podcast was recorded on December 5th, 2023. A warm welcome to you, Janice Stein. So nice to be with you, Pamela. We're just delighted that you're here. Thank you. Um, let's let's begin with sort of the events of 2023 and what rolls on into 2024. Do we do we know many of the geopolitical stories of 2024 already? Well, I think, Pamela, the big theme for me is that we are now in an age that I call geoeconomics. What does that mean? What does that mean? Geopolitics is now driving the global economy. That's a reversal uh, from the 30 years that followed the 1990s. The global economy was front and center. Geopolitics way behind. Geopolitics driving the global economy is not going away in 2024. Tell me if geoeconomics... I mean, can we put an equal sign saying trade, geopolitics is trade? Because we've always had people making sure that there's a relationship, though there can be trade. For sure, geopolitics is driving trade, and that will continue to be so. We're seeing an acceleration. I think it's also going to drive markets. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not always convinced that markets uh, price in adequately geopolitical risk. Uh, it is provoking wars um, that are fierce in different parts of the world, has an impact on markets. Um, geopolitics is influencing how we deal with climate change, which Absolutely. also right gets priced in by markets. So it's tracing those threads outward now from geopolitics across a whole set of financial issues. There always over the years there'll be uh, diplomatic upsets. There'll be uh, between partners that generally trade, that generally have friendly relations. Um, is diplomacy the same going forward? Does it have a, a harder edge, a softer edge? We saw, for instance, President Biden and President Xi in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and there was a mix of a bit of a love in, a bit of a dig here and there. But I mean, it seemed like diplomacy to me. You know, that's a really great question because I actually think our diplomats 
we need a, a, a new approach. It's not fit for purpose in the kind of world that we're in. But that Biden-Xi meeting, to me, was extremely important. It really reflected the views of the two leaders at the top. And here's what they were both worried about. Okay, good. I'm dying to ask you about this. Okay. <laughs> they were worried they were driving that relationship very close to the edge. And that could take everybody over the abyss, including Chinese and American society. Both of them recognized they need some guardrails in it. And so they took a step back. And those are Biden's instincts, by the way. Mm-hmm. When you, He's not comfortable moving very close to the edge. Take a step back and put just a few guardrails. For example, have a military-to-military hotline, which had been oh. shut down. That's interesting. Do we all have, with, with a lot of different leaders, do a lot of big com- countries have military to military red phones? We have them with the, the big powers. We have one with Moscow. Um, we did have one with Beijing until things heated up first under Trump. But Biden, um, in the early years of administration, pushed really hard and <laughs> then began to worry this was too far. And so... We saw that summit, which which we know that many, many people worked on before those leaders actually met. That's always the way. There are lots, there's lots of work that goes into that. Um, I, I don't know how many years ago, and maybe it still gets said, that this 21st century is the century for China, that it was for India. Then it was, actually, the United States is looking pretty good. Maybe maybe it's not. But whose century is this for, Janet? So I, now, I, I actually think this is a U.S. century. I you said, do. I always thought that. I never thought it was China's century um, for reasons that I think our listeners know well. There are so many structural problems inside China. Nevertheless, um, what China has accomplished in the last 20 years, no other society in history has done. Go to China, get off at the airport and ask yourself, who's got first world infrastructure and who's got third world infrastructure when we come back. Uh, it, it's an amazing record, but Xi Jinping, leaders matter. I think Xi Jinping was the wrong leader for China and has taken them down a road, um, which is going to put a lid on the kind of growth and the kind of influence that China can have. But it will be number two for the rest of the century. And the bottom line China has to live with the United States. The United States has to live with China. They have to find ways to do that. So we're going to talk more about other countries because I want to fold them all in. You recently, about a year ago, you'll correct me, were instituted to a, a committee by the Foreign Affairs Minister in Ottawa to just set out new guidelines for how Canada should be in the world, essentially, allocating lots of money. Give us a sense of what what you were sort of set up to do there, and then maybe we can go into what was accomplished. Too. It was an interesting effort uh, by the foreign minister to bring in outside advisors on a committee on a new Indo-Pacific strategy for Canada. Um, signals matter, so does money. Mm. Both, but, you know, we yeah. follow the money, both you and I. Yes. And I think the three big messages came out of that strategy. One, Canada pulled back from its overly rosy view of China, which the Trudeau government started with and recognizes the capacity of China to disrupt. Two, 
a big investment in India uh, as the largest country in the world with the eternal promise of growth. Right? Does it happen in the next five years? Um, we've been waiting a long time, but it has the largest and a very young population. It's one of the few countries in the world where the majority of people will not have hair my color uh, <laughs> very shortly. Right? Well, it's it's okay. And that was number three. And number three, uh, a deepening of our relationship in two parts: one in Japan and South Korea. Uh, and it's, it's actually quite interesting. The focus there is on security and defense. Both those countries, though, have a real interest in what Canada has done in AI, find it easier. In AI. In AI, especially in the city of Toronto, where we have had exceptional scientists, Jeffrey Hinton, and his students who uh, have led the world, really, in the in a breakthrough, and both uh, Japanese and South Korean leaders have said easier to come and work and partner um, with Canadians who have access to some of the most advanced technology in the world. Good news for Canadians and Canadians to hear. That really <laughs> is. And and when you say defense and security, is that I'm, I'm sort of trying to get it if there's sort of a, an intelligence piece there. I, I think sometimes with the five eyes, you discuss, you know, which countries share intelligence and maybe that changes. Is this, is this comparable? It's, or? it's both. It's, it's both. enhanced. It, it doesn't uh, replace or substitute for long standing partnerships with the United States, Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand. That's like intimate club of countries who really trust each other. Uh, but enhanced intelligence sharing for sure, and a bigger naval presence. Why does Japan, South Korea care about that? They had Japan particularly focused on North Korea, right? Who has the capacity to lob missiles just offshore. Um, but the bigger worry is a very assertive China that is flexing its muscles. Um, in the South China Sea, which is a real worry to both South Korea and Japan. Happy to have Canadians on board. Oh, that's so interesting. And so this is what came out of the Indo-Pacific. One more little piece that might interest your listeners too, Pamela. A, a renewed investment in ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, uh, and, a, and the creation of hubs where Canadian investors, frankly, who want good information about local markets, you know, agriculture, green tech. Um, you go and you don't know where to start. You don't know where to look for a partner on the ground. Will be a Canadian hub that will assess what you have, what you're interested in, and what you want, and provide direction and help. Because Canadians, as you know, Canadian businesses still depend to an astonishing degree on that nice, easy market to the south yes. and don't flex their muscles as much as they should. So is it fair to say that if there is a, an effort to diversify our exports, um, five, six, seven years ago, it was China, and that is a slightly different story yes. now based on yes. what you're saying? Yes, and I think it's a slightly different story for two reasons, um, principally because the Chinese government has cracked down 
on parts of its own private sector in ways that are alarming private investors outside. Um, I know our, our big asset managers in this country are much more cautious about the risk return reward uh, and are looking at investments in other parts of Asia where the risk is just simply less. So you're right. But there's no other market in Asia. Vietnam, uh, some of the manufacturing has moved. There's no other market with the kind of depth that China has. Right. That so there's opportunities there still. But it's yeah. So yeah. but it's interesting to sort of fan out the the um, the base for that. Can we swing back around to India? I'm fascinated. Canada has had some diplomatic spats. I mean, there some of them are quite serious uh, in terms of the allegations. Let's go through that a little bit, but sort of to get to the other side of the trade, of the investment, of, of the hope that this very large country at some point will be a meaningful trading partner. What do we need to get through? Well, we have a current diplomatic span over um, what is likely a rogue operation right. <laughs> by people um, close to Indian intelligence services um, who are very unhappy about the activities of some state Canadians who advocate for the independent state of Palestine. It's really interesting because there's no support any longer for that uh, by Sikhs in India, but it lives on in the diaspora, and that is not an uncommon diaspora story. When our prime minister came out with that, a fair amount of criticism from people who said, well, why did this, um, why did this have to go public? Well, we were rescued by the United States because the U.S. just released a really um, graphic indictment um, alleging that a similar crime was about to take place in the United States. Well, that's frankly worrying to people that even rogue operatives should be getting a wink and a nod that it is okay to assassinate. Um, Canadian citizens on Canadian soil. Um, yeah, this has been a long-standing era in yeah. the India-Canada relationship. It goes back up to Prime Minister Harper. Right. It, um, uh, it yeah. is really tough because, oh, by the way, we have laws in this country. We, we need good enough evidence that will stand up in court to charge. Um, uh, but I think we are, I think the message is getting through to India that this is not, about, this can't be the way of the future. Originally, our diplomatic staff was cut back. We have 400,000 Canadian Indians who travel, right? And their visa processing was delayed. All of a sudden, um, e-visa processing is now open. Again. Quietly, it's getting through. Quietly, so it's just... getting through. Quietly, the, the relations will be repaired, probably yes. behind the scenes, yes. would you guess? Yes, yeah. we've had very, very good um, diplomacy, both by our foreign minister and by very experienced diplomats who have said, let's just work on this. Let's, let's just, work let's on just, this. It's, it's too important. It's too important. It's too important. Um, the war in Ukraine, there's money that is running out from the United States perspective of what's being sent to the Ukraine. Um, and, and because there's been a war in the Middle East where other funds have been uh, allocated. It's uh, there are human tragedy stories in both cases. Yes. Talk about the Ukraine, if you don't mind, because it is hard to know where this goes. So this war is um, 
really of strategic significance. It goes yes. beyond Ukraine. I think uh, most of us understand that. Um, the rep- it's a very small minority of a very divided Congress in the United States, a small minority of Republicans who um, are the many uh, enhanced accountability for the funds that are spent uh, in the middle of a war. Uh, if the United States cannot um, finance additional assistance packages for Ukraine, uh, Ukraine will not be able to withstand continued Russian pressure. The Europeans just don't have the depth. They haven't built up their industries. This is an industrial manufacturing problem. Okay. Okay. As in for the defense industry? Yeah, we don't make enough ammunition. Nowhere. In the world. (laughs) In NATO and the United States and Canada. Do we manufacture enough ammunition? Who would think? In the age of advanced AI and robotics, that we would be struggling stand up manufacturing lines. If the United States is out of that equation because of polarization, because that's really what it is, um, it is a very gloomy future for Ukraine. So, so let's go to the significance. I mean, we're talking about Russia. So, okay, the big countries of, of the world, physically massive and, and also large populations and so on are the U.S., Russia, China, China, and India. Yes. India more with potential. More with potential. Yes. Okay. But these are are the big players. And so the United States being in Ukraine, and they'll have to figure out whether they get that funding pass, but but what is the relevance of of these big four players and the war in Ukraine? So if you actually look um, at Russia, Russia, is a declining economy. Mm-hmm. It's a society with declining life expectancy. It's got one big export to the world, which is oil and gas, as we know, but it's got a powerful military. It is the world's largest nuclear power, which is bigger than all the rest of us. Bigger than all us, the rest of us. Our, has, our more, allies. has more nuclear weapons than anybody else in the world. People, you know, just forget about that, frankly. And everybody's watching. Does the United States and its allies have the staying power here? Because if Putin is able to outweigh, and that's his strategy, uh, he, there's a presidential election in March 24, and I will go way out on a limb here, Pamela. Good. <laughs> and okay. predict that he will win with more than 90%. <laughs> all it's right. amazing those 90% numbers that come in from countries uh, that have yeah, so what, he's, what he's really doing mm-hmm. is he's waiting for the U.S. president and making a big bet that Donald Trump will win and he will prevail. Don't talk to Latvians, Lithuanians, and all neighbors. They mm-hmm. are terrified. They are terrified. They know that, as we say, the appetite comes in eating. Yes. And Putin has talked about restoring. Uh, the lost Soviet right. empire. What does China think of this? It, we, everyone's trying to, no, well, you try to figure out whether China does or doesn't support Russia. Right. Do they support Russia? Here's what, here's the best way I can describe this to you from a, from a friend of mine in Beijing who said the following to me. It is not possible for Xi Jinping to allow Moscow to lose. Now, 
Okay. That's a very sophisticated answer. It, it is, but it answers the question. Only in part, because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that Xi Jinping will make it possible for Russia to win. What he will not, uh, that's, yeah, you see the space there, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's interesting. They should, I hope they're a diplomat. That's a very good answer. Very, very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and what that really says is Xi Jinping is just fine with this stalemate. Just fine. That suits his purposes. It's diverting American attention from Asia. It's consuming resources. You know, attention is a scarce resource. Absolutely. Among senior leaders, whether it's in the private sector or government. There's well, a- we'll, we'll even say in markets that, you know, if, if hands are tied within the U.S., you know, often it's a good time for markets. Because markets right. just get on with it. They're not worried about some massive policy change because they can't really perhaps agree on it. I mean, not always. No, but there's but sometimes. openings. That's yeah. right. There's, uh, and, and that's Xi Jinping, right? Hands are tied. Uh, you know, the top team is focused on, on Ukraine now, focused on the Middle East, which doesn't really alter the strategic equation, no matter how horrific the pictures are, but not focused on... Their pivot to Asia, which is so, what Xi Jinping did not want to see. Let's let's talk about the Middle East in terms of escalation, because I mean, every day is an escalation. Actually, yeah. as you say, it's entirely horrific and and heartbreaking to watch on so many many levels. The countries that surround um, the war right now, are, do you think they'll engage no. more from like an Iran Iran, um, Iran Saudi Arabia, who's on uh, which side uh, situation and Turkey. And which are the three big regional powers, all of whom have um, very large interests at stake. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, I'd say the fighting between Israel and Hamas will end without a major escalation. And why is that? The one I think that is most worrying is Iran. And Iran made a forward investment in Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, 150,000 missiles, five times what Hamas has. Um, and why are they there? They're there to prevent one thing and one thing only, um, an Israeli strike on Iran's nuclear program. And Iran has made it very clear, like all the rhetoric, it has made it very clear to Hamas, it is not going to sacrifice that asset. For Hamas. It has frankly left Hamas fight this alone. Despite- so uh, despite the brutal war that we're seeing, there is stalemate for sort of the rest of the region. I don't is think that- there's stalemate. I, you know, um, the hands are tied. Perhaps. You've spent time in the Middle East, Pamela. Mm-hmm. Um, government, you know, people in Cairo, people in Riyadh are thinking about what happens the day after? Absolutely. Yeah. That's where they're focused. Who do I support? You know, who do I support now that will give me an advantage when the fighting stops? They're not fo- focused on the fighting. They're worried about what happens. Well, no, yeah. they're, I think, I wouldn't even say they're worried. I think they see opportunity. Okay. Interesting. Right? Okay. They yeah, see because- opportunity to engage and who, what kind of governance system emerges? What would be what do we not want to do? Who's our player? Who's our person here? Take us back to Canada's role in the world. You, you've spoken about some of the work that you've done specifically on opening up Indo-Pacific, which also maybe could be renamed one day, but we're not going to do it and solve that problem here. Um, 
We didn't name we it. Didn't, we it didn't. We didn't. It was, it was it? Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister, who renamed it. He renamed it. He renamed, renamed it. it. But the idea that we open up our economies and the export-import trade to to more of the Pacific countries. Um, tell us where Canada you think needs to go, is going currently. Give us a little bit of a report card on Canada right now. You're going to get my personal view here okay. rather than anybody else's. As a, and we started by saying Canada exports 70% of what it makes, both its knowledge product, products, its manufactured products go to the United States. And in front of us in less than a year is a U.S. presidential election which is so consequential for the, for the world. But no country has more at stake in that election than we do. Because, because, of, because of the tilt of our trade. Because of the tilt of our trade and because we live next door to them. Yes. And, you know, I often say, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take a, a saw, just cut along the line there, pick us ourselves up and move us to the south of France, better wine, better <laughs> food, better weather. We can't do that. Yeah, we live right here. So we have to understand it a much deeper way than we have in the past, Mm -hmm. Pamela. Do you think we've been flippant about it? We need to dig in much deeper and understand. Much, much deeper. Mm -hmm. We have been flippant about it Mm -hmm. because it's been an easy ride. Sure. But we have to understand how we become more valuable, more useful. The United States, which may, and this is so hard, for Canadian, for Canadian investors, for Canadian public opinion, which may be led by a very transactional president. Right? We need to learn how to be more transactional if that's the case. We have to have more to offer yeah. in a transaction, mm-hmm. in what will inevitably be under Donald Trump, where that happen, a transactional relationship. Okay. So I'm asked when I go to Washington, um, what value add Canada provide? Right. Right? How can you help? How can you be helpful? What piece of this are you willing to take on? So, and see, rare um, earths. I want. I want to go further with my my thoughts. Well, it is. It It is because critical minerals and rare uh, minerals are so important to the energy transition and will be critically important to the auto industry, which is a uh, you know. Canada's second most important sector, energy dominates by far, but the auto industry is right behind. Um, but again, what's our lead time on that? Um, you know, how long is it going to take? You get, to get into the, the ring of fire or wherever it is we're going to, to try and make something like that get, happen. Let's talk about one concrete uh, issue that you probably heard from investors. I certainly have that we have three separate permitting processes. A federal, provincial, and and they're sequential. Right. Why can they not be simultaneous? We could cut the permitting time. The United States is moving to do that. We have not. That's what I mean by digging much deeper in a much more granular way. What do we need to do? Understanding that there is at least a 50-50 chance. We will have to live with a very transactional present going to ask that question every day. Does that bring us back to what you began with, with the age of geoeconomics? Um, did I yeah. say that right? Geoeconomics. Yes. yes. So it's what we can offer economically. Yep. Um, on a geopolitical. Uh, that's right. Where are you helping us in the world? Right. What part of the Ukraine responsibilities are you counting? What are you doing in Asia? And it's, it looks at it. Uh, the Biden administration looks at it this way. 
Shouldn't and they are us, gentle in comparison to the storm that's coming. Should that weave us closer together? I mean, in theory, I know that the reality is often different, but in theory, if we all think more deeply about how we have to be, what did Winston Churchill say? We uh, we have no friends, we have only interests. I mean, if, right. if you get into that mindset well, more, does that weave us closer let together? Me answer, let me answer your question in a roundabout way, okay. which is Ukraine lives next door. It can't move its geography. One of the world's roughest, toughest, biggest powers. When that is your geographical fate, you have to understand that and you have to make your value known, obvious, and easy to access. That's not fair. That's not necessarily just but we get the advantages of living next door to the United yes, States. We, do. we have to understand that they are caught in a political whirlwind now into which we will inevitably be drawn. So we will think about how what we have to offer, perhaps yeah. in a different way. Is it, there a final thought that you'd like to leave with, inve- with investors here today, Janet? It's, you know, it's paradoxical um, in this way that great powers unfortunately, drive politics and economics. And we tend to focus on their strengths. What is China doing in the South China Sea? How many nuclear weapons are they building? What's happening with their investment strategies? We ask the same thing about the United States. I'm worried as we get approach 2024 that we have three weak great powers. Russia, we know. China, which faces an unprecedented economic crisis, this is the longest downturn, and it's structurally driven in part. And the U.S., with the most dysfunctional politics it's had since the Civil War, I think we can man- we've learned how to manage strength. We haven't developed the muscle mass to manage weakness. How different is that? If you think that weakness um drives a sense of vulnerability, yes, creates fear, um, creates a sense of insecurity, uh, and that's when leaders tend to lash out. That's what we saw with Vladimir Putin, right? So if we as Canadians can get better educated, people like you, I think, firstly, um, we maybe stand a better chance of sort of being on this world stage going forward. Yeah, and understanding... Um, where the fundamental trends are going, how they're going to shape our economic future, and what we need to do in a crowded, noisy world where we, frankly, are not a big power. Yeah. Oh, so delighted to speak to you. It's been actually a lifelong hope for me. So (laughs) uh, I hope you have a a rest at some point. I'm sure you don't because you're speaking daily. And you have a couple of podcasts. I I do one on Friday called Friday Focus. And then... Um, I do the bridge with Peter Mansbridge. Okay. Oh, I'm going to look for those. Okay. Um, Well, I wish you very well, and it's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pamela, for having me. It's been a pleasure to spend time with you. Oh, I'm so pleased. Well, thank you very much. Janice Stein joining us here on Fidelity Connects. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. 
while visiting Fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.